Happy Super Bowl weekend, everybody. Um, <clears throat> go Denver. Yeah. Well, I'm with most of America that hopes Peyton Manning wins a Super Bowl and then retires. Uh, that's, that's the real hope. I uh, just don't want to see another season of uh, trying to maintain some measure of health. So Sherry and I have never been on a cruise. It's sort of not anything we've ever aspired to, not on our bucket list. But I was reading about a cruise uh, the other day. And this is a cruise that sort of makes, um, makes the news because of how badly things went. So for reasons I don't completely understand, that there's mess up with the paperwork from the, from the, you know, the owning company. And they don't file the right paperwork, so they can't, the ship can't even leave the port for a couple days after it was supposed to. And then um, when it does leave, uh, they're a few days out when they happen to end up to be the ship that is closest to a sister ship, part of the same cruise line, that is experiencing difficulties. And they have to go take everybody on board their ship, and then they have to go back. Uh, and then they're leaving. So now they're days late. And the, the, the passengers complained that the food was bad. And there were no shows on this cruise. And by the way, I think food is, what I hear from people who cruise, it's all about the food, so the food's bad. And then I hear about the shows. There were no shows except religious shows, which apparently was not what people had in mind. So uh, then uh, some people got sick. One person dies. Just to make this one uh, for the lawsuit records, uh, they end up docking at the wrong port. And uh, because they're at the wrong port, uh, and when a weather system sets in, they can't leave. And so they end up staying in the wrong port without letting anybody get off for three months. Now, uh, let me just change the story ever so slightly because there's a couple things that you need to know. One is that when they finally did get off, they threw a party. And uh, we call it Thanksgiving. Now, this was uh, several hundred years ago, and uh, the, the, the passengers were pilgrims. They were uh, Puritan separatists who were trying to get to the new world in order to enjoy religious freedom. State church did not allow a lot of latitude. You had to, you had to subscribe to all these uh, aspects of uh, particular denominational practices. And if you disagreed... You couldn't not go. That was sort of like treason. And so uh, to get out of the country took uh, escape attempts. When they finally got out of the country, about 150 of them, this is 1607, they went to Amsterdam. They were detained in Amsterdam for 12 years before they finally took off. The first time they made a run for it, they're a couple weeks out when uh, the speedwell, one of the boats, begins to leak and they have to go back. So now they're two months delayed. They, they load all these people onto, uh, onto the one ship, the Mayflower, and they head out. They uh, arrive in Massachusetts in December instead of arriving in, uh, in Virginia in the late summer. <laughs> and the weather is so bad, they stay on the ship. One person has already died on the way over. Uh, disease will sort of spread throughout the ship during that winter. Others will die. When, when they actually get around to having a Thanksgiving, which is a year and a half later, only four of the 18 women who survived the passage will be alive 
to help celebrate. And yet what they're known for, right, what they're known for is this Thanksgiving festival. Today we're going to think about gratitude, um, about being thankful. It comes our way out of Luke chapter 17. Uh, By way of context, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He started in Galilee. He's on this long trip down to Jerusalem, timing his arrival to correspond to the Passover celebration. And if you read through the Bible a couple times, eventually you begin to realize the Passover, this big religious festival, which celebrates the Jews being freed from Egypt when the angel of death comes over, passes over those that have put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. The Passover event um, is, is just a, a placeholder for Jesus' crucifixion. And, and it is set up in the, in the scheme of things, in God's order, to drive home to the Jews, because it's going to be celebrated every year, to drive home to the Jews that sin is a capital offense, that uh, when we sin we deserve to die, but an, an innocent third party can die in our place. And obviously this is all pointing ahead to Jesus, who will be the ultimate Paschal Lamb, the sacrifice for our sins. So um, this is, this is uh, why Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. He's, he's born to die. He's headed there for that event. And uh, he's on his way. This trip takes a third of the Gospel of Luke. Not because it's a long trip, but because this is where, where Luke slows down long enough to start recording all the sermons and the lessons Jesus is giving. So we've already looked at uh, some of the parables in the series called Storyteller, and we're now in a series called Outrageous. And, uh, and so we're looking at the outrageous generosity that we're called to. Generosity with our money. Generosity with friendship in being, th- in being forgiving of people who harm us. And now we're looking at generosity in terms of being thankful. Thankfulness, gratitude, is, um, is what Martin Luther called the, the premier Christian attitude. And by gratitude simply mean, you know, that we're expressing thanks. That we are, we are thankful for the things that come our way and we're willing to express those. Think about it this way. Gratitude's opposite is not ingratitude. Okay? You would perhaps think that. But the opposite of gratitude is entitlement. Right? It's thinking, well, I'm, I've earned it. I deserve it. Right? I'm good enough. These things should come my way. Right? I don't have to be thankful for this because I, I paid for it or because I just, I'm, that's who I am. So, again, big picture, when we come to the Bible, when we, when we get into this book, we discover that we are, we are more morally broken and compromised than we like to admit. And in fact, because of that, we are in more trouble than we dare imagine. But in Christ... God's love and grace and his care for us is greater than we dare hope for. And so uh, in light of that, we have good reasons to be thankful to God. And that's the topic. And so um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 17, uh, beginning with verse 11. You heard it read. Let me just uh, pull it apart here. Just a few verses. Now on his way to Jerusalem... Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. 
Remember, Galilee's in the north, Samaria's in the middle, and then Jerusalem, uh, Judah is down here. So most Jews walked around Samaria. They didn't want to go through it. Jesus, we know, goes into Samaria. For whatever reason, we're not told, he seems to go into Samaria and then he heads over to the border of Samaria and drops down. Some think that he's got errands to run, uh, maybe. Uh, Others think he's trying to avoid the Roman guards who may have been sent forward to find him because Passover is a, turns Jerusalem into a powder keg. It's a, it's this, everybody's there, it's volatile, they're celebrating the freedom thousands of years ago, they don't enjoy freedom now, the Romans are over them. Pilate has gone there to try and keep the insurrection down, so it's likely that maybe they send guards out to try and capture Jesus as he was coming in. So, whatever. He's on his way to Jerusalem, traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. In the first century, you did, you did not want to get leprosy. I mean, you don't want to get leprosy today, but it was particularly trouble back then. First of all, it was a death sentence physically. Secondly, socially, you're just you're cut off. You're going to have to go live in a leper colony, and uh, you are going to be, you're, you're, you're going to have to announce anytime you get close to anybody that you are unclean, right? So you stand at a distance and you're always yelling, unclean, unclean. No one will touch you. Uh, literally, they believed it was infectious that way. It's not. But no one will touch you. And so it's, uh, it's bad. And religiously, you can't go to the temple. So you cannot go to atone for your sins, right? This is just a bad thing uh, to get. So Ten lepers come, they call out to Jesus. When he saw them, verse 14, he said, Go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. You had to get a certificate of being cleansed, of being cleaned and healed by the priests. We have no record that it ever happened. But he says to them, Leviticus 14 is the rule, he says to them, Go to the priests. And, uh, and as they are going there, uh, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet. Which, think about it, this is the first time he's been able to get close to somebody again. Right? He throws himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Um, Jesus never misses an opportunity, by the way, to, to make the hero of the story. Somebody that, that respectable Jewish people did not like. Prostitutes, tax collectors, Samaritans, whoever it is. It's always people they thought they were better than. So here, it's the Samaritan. Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And the term that's used here, it's only, it only appears once in the New Testament. But it is the term that was on the sign barring any uh, Gentile from coming onto the temple grounds. Right? So, um, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Well, there are a, a, a handful of different things that we could uh, leverage here to, to talk about. Obviously, uh, Jesus gives us many opportunities to talk about the evils of racism 
and, and uh, the kind of ethnic strife we just cannot allow to go on in the kingdom of God. We could talk about healing, uh, which, I, which I've done on several occasions. Remember, I, I tried to point out that the healings we see around Jesus, and that's where we see them for the most part, is just around Jesus. There's a few others, but no one seems to have the power that Jesus does. And one of the primary reasons that Jesus is healing people is to, to just validate his claims to being something other than just another rabbi, right? He shows when he comes out of the desert, uh, he's beginning his ministry, he demonstrates his power over sickness and over evil and over death and over nature, right? He, he's showing that he's somebody other than just another teacher. So that's one of the reasons. And I think the other reason is Jesus, he's bringing the kingdom of God. And when the kingdom of God comes in fullness, people aren't going to be sick. <laughs> people aren't going to be broken. And he sort of can't help it. So you show up around Jesus, you tend to get healed. So, but I've talked about that. Uh, there's another opportunity here, which would be to, to, to just point out at numerous points in Scripture, people are asked to do something by faith. Okay? When the Jews are coming into, uh, coming into the, take the promised land in the book of Joshua, the, the priests are told to step foot in the Jordan River, right? And the river doesn't part until they put their foot in it, right? And it's, I've been there. It's a bank. You're going to step in. They don't swim. This is a scary moment. But they're asked to go forward. Naaman will be asked to go do something in order to be cleansed. Here, these ten lepers are told before they're healed to go to the priest, right? So there's this sense of obey first and things seem to work out later. There's a number of things we could look at. I want us to think about this big topic of generosity because um, I think it's a very important one. And uh, I just want to unpack this. And for starters, I I, want to say that there's a difference technically between being thankful and offering praise. So just by way of further clarification... Uh, this is a distinction lost on many people, but one of the things that I recommend is that as you are praying yourself, you think about the word Acts, A-C-T-S, the book of Acts. So the A stands for adoration. So our prayer could begin with adoration, which is rehearsing, celebrating, proclaiming, reminding ourselves of who God is. Okay? We're not thanking him for what he's done, we're just marveling at his holiness and his power and his goodness and his love and his grace. We're just celebrating who he is. So that's adoring him. So prayers can start with praise. And then C would be for confession, right? Where we just acknowledge our sinfulness. Not because God doesn't know, right? He knows. This is just so we remind ourselves and we just come in humility, and, and any, any rift relationally that exists between us and God gets addressed there. And then the T then stands for thanksgiving. Thanking God for the things he's done in our life. Thanking God for the ways things are working out. Thanking God for answered prayer. And then the S is for supplication. So requests. Many people's prayer life starts and stops with requests. And I want to suggest that you, could, you can raise your game. Uh, it's acts as a good model. So I want to start by saying we're, we're seeing a little bit of a difference here between 
being grateful, thankful, and offering praise. That's it. I want to I make 10 points about gratitude. Um, number one, being grateful is commanded. Um, Jesus is a little bit surprised only one of the, uh, of the 10 who were healed came back to say thanks. And the suggestion is that they should have. Okay? And you can say it's just, it's just courtesy. Furthermore, we could say it's the example of Paul and Jesus. They're always offering thanks to God for things that have turned out. But beyond that, I think we can say that being thankful is the moral will of God. Right? God wants us, commands us to be thankful. There's a lot of different places we could turn to for this where we're told to be thankful. One of the interesting ones, I think, is in Romans chapter 1, where Paul is describing a, a, a culture that is descending. And there's a lot of things he could say about a culture as it's spinning out of control. But it's interesting, towards the beginning, what he says. Um, For although they knew God, they neither uh, glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thanks became, um, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So one of the things that God says about a culture that's beginning to spin out of control is that the people are not giving thanks to God. So, point number one, we're commanded to be thankful. Point number two, this is not for God's benefit. This is for ours. In, um, in his book, uh, the Reflections on the Psalms, C.S. Lewis says that one of the things that kept him from coming to faith in, in God, and one of the things that then bothered him for a while after he had, was this belief that God uh, needed our praise. Right? He says, God is he's commanding us. He's commanding us to say that he's wonderful and to thank him. He goes, that, I mean, a person that tells us we've got to say how wonderful they are, that's a bad person, right? So he just had this idea that, oh my goodness, this is, this is really weak and pathetic and bad. I don't like anything about it. It was only as he began to study that he came to the realization that the commands that we get from God to be thankful to him and others, but principally to be thankful to him, the commands we find in Scripture to do this are not for God's benefit. So your spouse, your kids, your, your neighbor, right, the little kids that you're coaching on a, on a basketball team, they may all need encouragement. <laughs> they may all need th- thanks and gratitude and, and affirmation. God does not need our affirmation. God is perfectly perfect. He doesn't profit from our affirmation. But here's the deal. We do. See, we're, we, are, we are wired to worship. We worship, right? We have no choice but to declare something to be beautiful or awesome or wonderful. There will be a huge, huge worship service tomorrow in San Francisco, right? At one of the biggest church cathedrals in the country, right? I'm talking about the Super Bowl, right? That is a big worship service at one level. Now, it's, it doesn't, it's not, I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm not saying it's idolatry. It is for some people. Right? The point is that 
We need our lives to be rightly ordered. We need our affections to be rightly ordered. And we're going to worship something. We're going to express thanks and praise to something. It's imperative that we express that first and primary to God. Not because God wins, but because it it helps us win. We have a rightly ordered life. We are shaped by what we love and adore. If we love and adore the wrong things most, we are misshaped. Number three. Number one, we're commanded to worship. Number two, this is not for God's benefit. Uh, It's for ours. Number three, being thankful is good for us. I read a lot about the, the benefits of being thankful and grateful this week. Many of them were referencing medical journals. And all these studies talking about how good it is for us to be thankful. Here's, uh, here's a, an excerpt from an article in the Wall Street Journal that was uh, called, Thank You, No, Thank You. And it was written by uh, Melinda Beck. And she says, it turns out giving thanks is good for your health. A growing body of research suggests that maintaining an attitude of gratitude can improve psychological, emotional, and physical well-being. Adults who frequently feel grateful have more energy, more optimism, more social connections, and more happiness than those who do not. According to studies conducted over the past decade, they also are likely... They are less likely to be depressed, envious, greedy, or alcoholics. They earn more money, sleep more soundly, exercise more regularly, and have greater resistance to viral infections. Now, this should not surprise us. Jesus is the smartest person who ever lived. The advice that he gives to us is the best advice we're going to find consistently. It is in our best interest to cultivate an attitude of thanksgiving. Number three, being thankful is good for us. Number four, being thankful is a choice. Being thankful is a choice that we make. There are some who say that we're just, you know, just stimulus response machines, just a collection of chemical reactions. It's all sort of, it's all in the chemistry. Right? We, don't, we don't have a will. We're not moral people. It's all sort of programmed up there. And um, so it doesn't matter. The Bible, God says, no. You have ultimate meaning. And you have choices to make. And, and gratitude is actually a decision that we make. G.K. Chesterton, the great British writer, said it this way. When it comes... Um, when it comes down to life, the critical question is whether we are going to take things for granted or take them with gratitude. When it comes down to it, he says, the critical thing in life is whether you're going to take things for granted or you're going to take things with gratitude. So how we think about things is going to profoundly shape us. If we feel entitled, if we feel like the world owes us, then we're going to be disappointed. We're going to get knocked down. We're going to have difficulties. But if we come at this, not with ourselves in the center, expecting everybody to put us in the center, but with God in the center, and an understanding that we're broken, but that he loves us and cares for us, then we have a very different disposition. So we will be thankful. 
attitude, this attitude is critical and, and we have a choice to make about being thankful or not. Number five, um, we do a pretty bad job today of being thankful. We do a pretty sorry job. There's likely never been a time when so many people had it so well. We are living the dream. It's not accurate to say we're like kings and queens of old because we've got it a lot better than kings and queens of old. And on most fronts, not all, there is moral decline and all the kind of issues that surround that where things are getting worse. But on most fronts, things are trending in a positive direction. The fronts I'm referring to are high school graduation rates, college enrollment, juvenile crime, drunken driving, traffic deaths, infant mortality, life expectancy, per capita uh, consumption, workplace injuries, air pollution, divorce, charitable giving, voter turnout, per capita GDP, teen pregnancy. In every one of those categories and in many others, things are getting better. (laughs) We have lots of reasons to be thankful. And I didn't even go into the medical things where we see the biggest advances. Right? I mean, all the you know, I mean, we, we, not just have, we don't just have antidepressants and we've got insulin pumps and we've got surgeries and quadruple bypass procedures and other things. There's many things going well and yet there's this overall sense of foreboding and anger and fear about how bad things are. We, we don't do a very good job of being thankful. Um, I, uh, I ran across this this, uh, I ran across a transcript of a, uh, of a comedy sketch that uh, Louis C.K. does. And it's called, um, Everything's Amazing Right Now, But Nobody's Happy. And he talks about people coming back from their flights. And he goes, people come on their flights and they always tell you, it was amazing. It was the worst day of my life. For starters, they didn't board for 20 minutes. Right? And then we, sat on the, then we sat out on the, tar- on the tarmac for 40 minutes. Right? And then he says, and then I say to them, oh, oh, really? That sounds bad. And then what happened next? Did you fly in the air incredibly like a bird? Did you partake in the miracle of human flight? Was everyone on the plane constantly screaming, wow, wow, this is amazing. I'm flying. I'm sitting in a chair in the sky. Here's the thing. People talk about delays on flights. Delays, really. New York to California in five hours. It used to take 30 years to make that trip, and most people would die on the way. I think it goes without saying. If the Puritans didn't come up with Thanksgiving, we probably wouldn't have the holiday. As bad as it was, they made a decision to look for things to be thankful for. And consequently, they lived very different lives. Number six, um, comparison and commercials pull us down. In our culture, there are things that, that actually weigh against us being grateful. And if you don't learn to spot them, then you're at risk. Now, I've talked at some length about comparisons in the past, right? Comparison is a fatally flawed exercise. You can feel good or bad about anything at any time based on who you decide to compare yourself to. You want to feel poor? Well, compare yourself to Bill Gates. Look at you. You want to feel rich? Compare yourself to 90% of the world. Compare yourself to the 2 billion people that are trying to get by on less than a dollar a day. 
right? You can feel rich or, or poor, depending upon how you construct this. You want to feel like you're in great shape and a good person? Watch some of the stupid fail videos on the internet, right? You want, you want to feel like you're not very coordinated, right? Compare yourself to some 25-year-old superstar athlete, the best in the world. Comparison is a fatally flawed exercise. And there's lots of people who are living in 4,000 square foot houses, who are unsatisfied because their neighbors have 5,000 square foot houses. Never mind that most of the world is happy living in a 600 square foot house. Right? Comparison, and we, we are in comparison central. Comparison can get us in trouble. And commercials. So just a brief time out to say, you probably all heard, 30 second commercial uh, during the Super Bowl will cost on average, $5 million. So what that means is that there are smart people who woke up persuaded that it was worth $5 million to put something in front of you because they believed it was going to change your behavior and mine to the extent that they're going to get more than $5 million back. And fundamentally, commercials make us feel a little frustrated that we don't have something. My life would be complete if I drove a Buick or if I was drinking a Coke. My kids would be happier if we had this vacuum cleaner, right? Whatever it is, it's nonsense. It's nonsense. But we get sucked right in and think, oh, I need need that. Wow, I'm really not happy that I don't have that. So we just have to understand we live in a culture right now where we've got to be proactive in our thinking. Otherwise, we're going to get taken for a ride. Number seven, practice helps. Thankfulness is what's called a progressional virtue. And that means that when you do it, it leads to being thankful. Right? When you decide to be thankful, it, 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 it serves as both a cause and effect. You actually become thankful. Right? When, you, when you sit down and write out reasons to be thankful, you actually become thankful. So I want to give you an assignment, right? I want to encourage you this week to write a list of a hundred things that you're thankful for. A hundred things. And if you want extra credit, which I would encourage, send somebody a note thanking them for something they've done. Right? Catch them doing something right and just saying, I saw this. Thank you for doing this for this person. Just (laughs) these things... They build on each other. And so we're being instructed by God, commanded by God, not because he needs it, but because we do, right? And, and especially in, the, in, the, in the, 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 the water we're swimming in right now, we need to work on being thankful. And as we work on it, it, it actually works itself out. Number seven, practice helps. By the way, I've got one other reading. I I went back um, a little while ago. I read Robinson Crusoe in high school. Maybe I read it. Maybe I was just thinking I was reading it. It's a profoundly spiritual book. I didn't get any of that. Uh, He develops a very robust inner life. So there's been a couple remakes of Robinson Crusoe. I've not seen the Matt Damon movie, movie Martian, which is sort of a Robinson Crusoe story. As I understand, there's, there's nothing there in which he's cultivating an inner world. Uh, I did see the Tom Hanks movie, Castaway, and (laughs) 
Tom Hanks does not cultivate an inner world, right? He doesn't talk to God. He talks to a volleyball. These are just dramatically different outcomes as people pursue it. But in, I, 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 wrote, this, uh, I wrote this paragraph out, photocopied this paragraph out of Robinson Crusoe. He'd been sick, uh, thought that he was going to perhaps die. He's on the island. He's by himself. He thought he was going to die. He gets very sick. And he's been trying for a number of years now to get off the island. When he gets better, he said, um, I'm quoting now, I was, as it were, made to ask myself such questions as these. Have I not already been delivered and wonderfully too from sickness, from the most distressed condition that could be, and that was so frightful to me? And what notice had I taken of it? Had I done my part? God delivered me, but I had not glorified him. That is to say, not owned and been thankful for that as a deliverance. This touched my heart very much, and immediately I kneeled down and gave thanks to God for my recovery from my sickness. He will later go on, and he will start thanking God for all kinds of things. And you can just see his attitude changing as he learns to see his situation differently. So, um, it is, uh, practice helps. It is a progressional virtue. Number eight, suffering helps. Now, you might think that the way to be thankful would be to have everything go well. That actually doesn't lead to being thankful. What leads to being thankful is when things don't go well. And then we've got to stop and think about what's going on. And think about what matters. And we start to see everything differently. I know that when I had my stroke, I was immediately thankful and amazed at the care I was getting by my family and by other people, and, and I, I found myself being thankful. And then I also realized, and it's been helpful carrying forward here almost two years now, I realized how many things I had that I had not appreciated before, like walking <laughs> and going, going to a meal, going to a dinner with, with friends. I mean, laughter. I mean, all these things that it's just like, yeah, no, I didn't slow down long enough to be thankful for those things until I thought I might not have them again. So as it turns out, uh, suffering tends to help us more than having everything work out. Number nine, relationships are key. I hope, by the way, that you're appreciating the fact that you're getting like a 10-point sermon. Oh, my goodness. Relationships are key. Um, I could be wrong, but as you make your list of 100 things, I'm pretty confident that they're not going to be things, right? You're not going to say, wow, I'm really thankful for my car. I'm really thankful for my iPhone. I'm really thankful for, uh, you know, this piece of jewelry, right? You're going to be thankful for people. You're going to be thankful for relationships and experiences. And so it, it's, it's, a helpful, it's a helpful exercise to carry forward. And then finally, number 10, confession helps. Uh, David says in Psalm 32 that when he didn't seek God, his heart grew heavy. And then when he did come before God and enters in, in the presence of God through confession... His heart turned to joy. And so uh, I'm going to lead us in a time of confession. In a moment, I'm going to turn things over to the campus pastors. Um, 
let me just say, there's, there's lots of, there's lot of other things that could be said about, uh, about being thankful. Way more than 10 points. But one of the things that we get to do today is to come to the Lord's table and to remind ourselves of what has been done for us and, and to have that experience. So the Lord's table is open to anyone. Uh, if Jesus is your Savior and Lord, you do not need to be a member of this local congregation. But I'm going to turn it over to the campus pastors. We're going to um, enter into a time of reflection, preparation for communion, and, and use Psalm 32 as the basis for that. So I'm going to turn it over to the campus pastors now. And while the musicians and uh, those that are going to help distribute the communion elements come forward, let me just um, remind you that uh, we will distribute both the bread and the cup. would encourage you to take both. I'm going to pray for us in just a second. And what I'm going to do that's a little bit different than what we've done in the past is uh, while the elements are being distributed, uh, I am going to read Psalm 32. This is a psalm of David. And it is, again, a psalm of confession. And just would, I would encourage you to allow this psalm to guide your thinking as we come before God, preparing our hearts to come to this table. So, let me pray for us. Lord God, we pause again, um, out of habit, but also out of need, to come to this table to rehearse the great cosmic turning point in history when, um, when your son died on the cross, paying our debt. And um, we are focused on this. We do not understand um, how broken we are. So we cannot, we cannot begin to imagine how much trouble we're in Consequently, we cannot begin to appreciate how wonderful your blessings are and how much you have, you have secured for us, your love and your care and your grace. So we want to come before you now as we prepare to come to this table and uh, to just be reminded of our need to be humble and to confess our sins and um, to just draw ourselves into your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.